Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your non-managers and individual contributors, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Teammate. In this 12-month program, I'll be taking your employees through the program, which includes topics on communication, managing your boss, getting results without authority, customer service, problem-solving, decision-making, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoints, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take the program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. When people talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, the one group that never really gets any mention to that are men. And you might say, well, you know, everything's about men, so they shouldn't have a part of this. But you know what? I don't know if that's altogether true. Our guest today is Ray Arada. Now, Ray is the author of Showing Up, How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace. Ray had a fascinating story of how he started on this journey And in our conversation, we talked about how to get out of the microscope and look closely at behaviors, language, and power, why curiosity is a catalyst to undoing male privilege, why female mentors and male accountability partners are so important, and how to practice empathy to imagine the experiences others go through in your workplace. It's an eye-opener for me, fascinating guests. I know that you're going to enjoy them, and especially if you are a man who's listening to this today, maybe consider taking one of the weekend sessions that Ray and his group offer. So let's quit talking about the man. Let's talk to him. You know what time it is. Let's make sure that personal item's tucked under the seat in front of you. Make sure the seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Time for us to taxi to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Ray Arata, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, Ray, you are the author of Showing Up, How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace. I want to hear all about that. I want to hear about the work you're doing, including your Better Man movement that you're working on. But before we get there, uh, tell us about your journey. What brought you to what you're doing today? There's there's two parts and maybe three to the story, but the first one is probably the most important. And that is uh, back in 1999, when I was married to my first wife and mother of my three kids, um, when the stock market was climbing, I had just um, moved into a brand new home that we had renovated and two months into the the uh into moving in at one o'clock in the morning uh i got the i don't love you anymore speech and basically that set things in motion for us to ultimately get divorced and about six or seven weeks later um my manager in the financial services business i was consulting to high-tech companies in silicon valley called me out on some of my behavior and the way he called me out um was reminiscent of some of the wording my my then wife had mentioned and i realized you know 
I need to do something here. And so I walked into his office and I, I ironically said, thanks for calling me out. <laughs> it, it resonated. And I think I need to do something, but I'm not sure what to do. And he said, close the door. And he hands me this brochure. And I look at it and it says men's weekend. And I'm like, what, you know, what the hell is this? And he smiled and he said, I can't tell you what they do there. Nod, nod, wink, wink. But here, call my wife. Um, it changed my life. And so when he said that, largely built on trust, I took his word and signed up for the this weekend put on by the Mankind Project. And I went to Houston of all places because there was nothing at the time here in Northern California. And uh, I showed up and just to net things out in the interest of time, it was an initiatory process into healthy manhood. For men, by men, non-denominational. Uh, and it gave me a... Uh, a real glimpse into how the pained little boy in me was driving the adult bus and how my behavior and my language was impacting those I loved and people around me. So I learned about my emotions. I learned about accountability. I learned about integrity. I came out of it with a mission statement for myself. And I immediately started attending a men's group, which I now refer to as the emotional gymnasium to stay aware and awake because most men haven't ever been taught or uh, about how to connect and feel our emotions. Those that do, we often get branded with that's too touchy feely and a whole bunch of other comments. And as I started doing that and started staffing and ultimately leading these weekends, um, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cups of coffee with, with men who had heard me say something. And I, it started to become apparent to me that this was a calling of sorts, but I couldn't put my head around it. And as the hours of working with men increased, I've now done 55 men's weekends, maximum security prison work, et cetera. Uh, I met a diversity and inclusion consultant in 2011 who was intrigued by the book I was writing at the time, which is, was, which was, is called Wake Up, Man Up, Step Up, Transforming Your Wake Up Call to Emotional Health and Happiness. Uh, and she said, you really have something here. And and the men in corporate America that look like you and sound like you need to hear from you. But first, I want to send you to a women's leadership conference. So this was like part two of the story. And so when I went to this conference, I was the only guy there. And as I was listening and observing to what was going on and what was going on with me, I realized, oh, my goodness, all those times my mom talked to me about how her brother her older brother in an Italian-American family got all the rights and opportunities and privileges because he was a boy and she didn't because she was a girl. It started to make sense. And then I thought about my wife, who was the oldest, who is the oldest of seven in an Italian family in San Francisco. Same thing. And then my daughter was going to be graduating from Duke with a degree in computer science. And it was kind of one of those things where uh, as, as this consultant said, Ray, you can stay in your man shirts and do these men's weekends, or you can, you know, walk across the street and step into corporate America. And so with that, after, you know, six or eight, um, speaking engagements to audiences, largely of women, I said, this is going to take forever. So I reached out to a couple guys and a few women I knew in corporate and said, I've got this idea. I want to advance healthy masculinity into the, into the leadership conversation because uh, the only way we're going to achieve gender equality is if men are on board, not about taking over, just men on board. And, and they like the idea. And with that, 
the Better Man Conference was born in 2016 with Pricewaterhouse, Genentech, Kaiser Permanente, other notables. I even had Don McPherson, an African-American retired NFL quarterback, come and speak, Michael Kimmel. And here we are 13 conferences later. <laughs> and we're just getting started. And my new book, uh, Showing Up, How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace, Basically, you know, this is how I end up writing a book. I had a lot of it up in my head and people have been consistently asking me. Men were asking me, what do I do? Companies were asking me, how do I engage my men? And people who come from historically marginalized groups are like, how do I support and be supported? This is great. So I wrote the book uh, to answer all those questions. So divine timing, whatever you want to call it. So I'll, I'll stop there because... That's the story that continues to be written, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it's a great story. I guess what I'm curious about is, is the problem itself. You've used the term healthy masculinity. I've heard the term toxic, toxic masculinity. And then uh, was a couple of months ago, I guess I was doing a Google search on something or other, and I ran across a, a baby picture of uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt as a baby, dressed like a girl. And I thought, wait a minute here. And then I read and they says, back in those days, they were sort of, uh, you know, you dress your boys kind of like girls. So at what point did we go from that to now where we have this idea of toxic masculinity? It seems like that something happened in that journey. And I'm not altogether sure. And maybe it's not even related. But for whatever reason, that just sort of struck me. Yeah. So so the whole toxic versus healthy um, I tend not to use the word toxic as much anymore. I'm really just looking at uh, current times and how in my observations and my experiences, um, not being connected to our emotions, not being introspective, um, st sticking to binary only isn't serving anybody. And so, and so when I did my work and started to notice a lot of pain that men were experiencing, it kept pointing to the same thing. It kept pointing back to uh, the outdated playbook of what it meant to be a man, the man box, if you will. And there's a lot of rules of the man box, like real men don't show emotion. Real men make all the decisions. Real men are heterosexual. Real men only play sports. All these fallacies that if you walked onto a schoolyard, and you asked young boys what it means to be a man, in certain, in many instances, you'd hear them uh, contextually refer to many of those rules. And those rules, A, don't serve people around men, nor do they serve men. And so when I look at healthy masculinity, what I'm really trying to be a part of and do is to support a rewrite that's going to support men and those around them. I just happen to have brought this into the context of leadership. Because companies right now, the way I the way I hold it is Time's Up and Me Too and COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement um, have created a perfect storm that's now shining the light on the majority, men. Why? Because there's been a small group, the minority, the bad apples, the one we read about in the newspapers that have historically been controlling the narrative. And so the spotlight's on the majority saying, okay, are you going to be like them? Do you want to be like them? Or are you going to be different? And so what those men, and I like to believe, and in my book, 
you know, I advanced that many men do care. They just don't know what to do. So I, I, I have a positive aspirational assumption about most men. And so that's why this whole notion of healthy masculinity, they need a, they need a way forward. And I'm, all I'm really doing is sharing what's worked for me and many, many other men who have been on similar journeys. And that's why I created my six principles of heart-based leadership kind of as a way forward. It slots in better. Yeah. Yeah. So at what point did, did I guess the traditional approach to what manhood look like start? And is it, is it just something in the West or have you found that in different parts of the world, it's a little bit different? Well, what's common is, is isolation and pain by a lot of men all over the world and the havoc and that which the, 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 uh, the wake that they leave by a lot of this behavior and who it affects that's worldwide. We can just look in the, we can look in the, in the news currently. It's my belief that when we look at how women have galvanized in a lot of their movements and brought unwavering attention on this, we will no longer tolerate this behavior. The women have shown us how to galvanize and, and shine the light on us. And with social media and everything, there's no escaping this. Now, there's also another group, and it's the younger people. It's kids my, like my, the age of my kids, that they're looking at men like me saying, I don't want to be like that. Hmm. You know, they're in interracial marriages. They're more evolved. Now, they have their own set of issues. So right now, um, it, it, whatever worked two generations ago isn't working anymore. I watched my mom, basically, when I was little, contest my father all the time. She was always pushing the envelope. It was like watching Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs go at it because they were both tennis players. So I used that <laughs> metaphorical comparison. So this has been in the making for a while. It's just right now, it's the attention is there. And I'm going to do what I can to support as many men and organizations as possible to you know step into the shift of being an ally and a leader. That's That's my game plan. I don't know if you can do this or would do this, but can you give us an idea of what your um, conferences look like? Yeah. And so what would it be like if I was to go to that? So there's the virtual and there's the live. And my, my favorite reference since we're going live again this year is to imagine, if you will, for the, for, for whether it's the men in your audience or, or women, you, you show up, and there's about 300 people there at tables. And we, I, I usually open up the conference and, and, and speak from the heart and let them know what's going to happen. And then what we, we do what's what we refer to as a icebreaker exercise to get people in the room, to get people in their body, to get people connecting to some of their emotions and to set the stage for the day. And so this year, our themes are power, patriarchy, and privilege. So we're, we know that the majority of the people in the room are men and others who are working inside companies. And so they're all kind of in this place because everything I've been talking about is, is, is being put in front of them from their diversity, equity, and inclusion departments. If they're a leader, they're no stranger to this. And so they're in the learning mode of, okay, I want to better understand what to do and how to be. And there's this guy, Ray Arata, up there talking about vulnerability and authenticity and accountability and inclusivity. And, and he has these speakers there that are taking them through exercises. 
and they're going at important topics to dismantle patriarchy, to help understand where it came from, to understand that this privilege thing is not a demonizing thing, but it's a humanizing thing. And it gives people choice to be a good human being to others. And so it's going to have like a workshop field where we're meeting men where they are without shame or blame to help them awaken a bit more, if you will, so that by time they leave, they will have started to think differently, feel differently, and are inspired to be better when they go back into their organization. So that's, and, and I can't tell you how many times, you know, women and men uh, have come to me and said, I had no idea that this was possible, that, that this safe space that men would be vulnerable and be human. I'm like, we've been able to do that all along. We just didn't know how, Mm -hmm. you know? So hopefully that helps answer your question. It does. Yeah. So it sounds like corporate groups will take advantage of this. What, how do you, how do you pitch this to an organization? Because most, at least in my business, they want to know the ROI. Yeah. Hey, it's going to cost this much. What am I going to get for my money? How do you quantify what you're doing at these events? So I've been at this now for six or seven years and the pitch always evolves. <clears throat> and so I've come to deeply realize that this is a relationship driven business, meaning if heads of diversity or learning and development uh, or ma- senior male leaders connect with me and understand uh, what I'm doing and they look at their org, and they know they want to win the war on talent. And I've languished things in such a way that in order to be competitive, in order to have a culture where everyone feels included, it's imperative that you bring men forward. Then metrics and are, are up to them in terms of what they want to measure, right? So Intel is an example. Put out that by 2030, they want, they intend to have uh, as many as 40% of their leadership positions to be held by women. So they put that out there. So when companies come to me, you know, they know that this is an early part of their journey and there's not nothing like this in the country, let alone the globe, with the exception of one or two other orgs who do a few other things, but albeit differently than me, like Catalyst, for example. Um, uh, and so they, they come and they, the, the place to start in the journey is to get the men in the room. So if you want to measure engagement, how many men come? If you want to measure engagement, um, you and these are things I talk to companies all the time. Are, are you willing to have these men uh, get feedback about their behavior and their language? It's kind of like a 360, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so it, it depends organization by organization. So, you know, I pitch them to start their journey. And a lot of this, I have the convenience of the perfect storm that I spoke to you about. I already know organizations are sitting in the question, what do we do with our men? And men are already starting to articulate various factions of men. I write about this in my book, The Five States of Men. You know, there's a, a group of men that start to articulate, hey, you've got employee resource groups for LGBTQIA, for women. What about us? So that's, that's a voice they're starting to hear. Some are saying, what's with all these DEI initiatives? It's a distraction. That's their unexamined privilege in action. 
Then there's a whole slew group of men that are afraid to say or do the wrong thing, so they do nothing. Mm-hmm. Then there's a group that says we want to do something, but we don't know what to do. And then there's a few, the few, the proud, the advocates. So if you are willing to look underneath the hood, mo- like most companies are starting to, you'll come to realize that you have all these groups of men that require slightly nuanced, different approaches. And that if you spend the money, make the time, you'll get these men on board. And the us uh, starting place is coming to the conference. And we're not going to solve all the world's problems by them coming to my conference. And the same thing with my book. Some, some men want to, in the privacy of their own home, start to read a book. Some will go to a conference and be vulnerable in front of the other ones. Some will do both. Some will go into a training. But I'm really just, like I said in the beginning of my answer, this is a relationship-driven business. So I have to be an ally to those women of color who are in diversity roles or those gay men who are in diversity roles or those black men who are in diversity roles. Those are the most of the people I talk to. So if I do my job and understand them and what they're going through, and I partner and ally with them, then I'm going to help them make their job just a little bit easier. And one way of doing that is having them come to the conference. Then we have ignition. And they're like, okay, Ray, what can we do? We want to put a cohort of men through a training. Or can you come and do a fireside chat with our CEO or can you do this or can you do that? Right. And it's just, there's a lot of different ways to skin that cat. I'm curious because in some of the programs we offer, and I'm pretty open about this, most people are sent to my programs there. It's on, you know, management training. I, I, people are prisoners in my programs. Do you experience that in any of your weekend sessions that you have, that you have guys that are forced to go into that? No, you're, and you're referring to being voluntold. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's, that's my life. Unfortunately, right. I'm like the it's, dentist. Nobody really wants to come yeah. see me, but they get pushed to go, you know? Yeah. See, and my, my approach, our approach is different in that um, I work with those in diversity uh, departments or w- a lot of women who run ERGs find their way to me. And I do take the grassroots approach, meaning there's got to be one guy who, you know, and trust that you can ask for support that would be into this, that would take the risk. And then the strategy shifts from him to him inviting other men to come along. Keyword invite. Mm-hmm. Languaging it in such a way that, hey, you have to be, an, you're an ostrich if your head's in the sand and you don't see what's going on with the current social and political narrative. So how about if you come to this place that's safe, that you're not going to get shamed or blamed, two key words, and you're going to learn. Are you open to learning? And so we want them to self-select. So like when we do a cohort training for a company, when we talk to them, we talk to them and we give them guidance about their selection process. Like who should you have in the room? You know, there's laggards, there's learners, and there's leaders. There's the reluctance, right? So maybe we should have a little mix of all of them, but it's by invitation. Mm-hmm. Therein lies the difference. Maybe that's why it's taking me so long because I'm not. Well, but I think it's also, you know, it's something that's it's kind of starting. And I think anything early stages in your experience, do you and I don't know whether this is a thing or not. I guess my own perception would be that it would probably be very young men and probably old geezers like me at midlife who suddenly have this awakening and awareness or younger men who have been brought up in a generation that is more open. 
it seems like those would be the two people that would willingly be the leaders, not the laggards. Am I way off on that, or do you no, see you're, a whole broad pretty, race? You're pretty, you're pretty accurate. Um, it's the it's the forty plus up into the late fifties, which are the ones that are most seasoned in life, but also ready to change. Because if they don't, they're gonna you know they're not gonna last long. And then it's the the younger men who want this already, so they'll come, and mm-hmm. so. Regardless, you know, both of them need to be spoken to slightly differently. I've learned that with my sons. My sons are 27 and 24, mm-hmm. and, I've, and I've worked with a number of, you know, mid-30s guys. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's just a slight adaptation, but those are the two groups. Okay. I, I was just kind of curious about that. So in thinking about what you're doing here, I mean, I hate to use this word because it's such an ugly word anymore or it's taken out of context or whatever. In fact, I'm not even sure what it means. But what's your response to say to somebody telling you, Ray, you're just being woke. You're just being woke. So, you know, I would say my response to that would be. Tell me, can you tell me more about what you mean by that? What does that word mean to you before I answer anything so I can better understand where you're coming from? Mm-hmm. And what and, responses do you typically get to that? Because I don't even know if there is a definition. So, so I mean, is there a variety of choices there? I, I don't use the word woke, and I know that it's a, it's a bad word with my UK friends. It's it's a lot of media is teeing off on it. You know, it, from what little I know about this this meme of woke and people not being into it, it can it sounds like it's being used as a shield you know, and putting in other people's face. So it's, it's a term and a, um, what's the best way for me to say this? Um, unless you are actively doing the work to become an aware human being, that term, uh, is going to fall flat. And so that's why I don't use the word woke. Um, I can honestly stay because of my men's weekend and workshops and going to a men's group regularly and reading a ton of books and get and asking for feedback uh, on my journey to do 55 men's weekends, including going into a uh, maximum security prison to, to deliver trainings, that I'm an aware, awake man. Mm-hmm. Notice that I didn't say woke. Mm-hmm. I can own what I just said because I've done the work. So I would invite anybody, even a person who said, you know, what's with this woke thing, I'd, I'd get curious and find out what's true for them, what it means to them. And then I'd ask them, well, are you doing your own personal work? Are you hiding behind this word, taking pot shots at people who are, you know, I can do that dance, you know, mm-hmm. and but then I come across as I'm the smart guy, the too smart guy. So yeah. I'll yeah. just really try to understand. Yeah, well, now that makes sense, because I'm not sure whether there is an interpretation. Yeah. The other, the other, I guess criticism that I would think would come to mind is, you know, people thinking that you as a man are pandering Uh, years ago. It's been probably 12 years ago. I gave a keynote for a women's leadership group up in uh, Montreal, Canada. And I just did a, I can't, yeah, I remember the topic to be perfectly honest. I said, here's some ways where women are superior and man, the trolls, even today, Ray are still, in fact, I'm almost tempted to take the thing down. Not that I read it, but I get the new comments every so often. And yeah. 
boy, I get blasted almost like, Hey, I'm betraying the gender or something. And that was never in my intent. I didn't intend to pander. It was just trying to bring something to the table. Do you ever find that criticism? No, but I'm ready for it. And what I mean by that is, um, when you're someone like me in the public eye and when you're in check with why you're doing this and you, I remember my humanness, I'm always going to be conscious and evolving my learning about my language and my discernment and my intention. And there's going to come a time, there's been like one or two, but nothing major where what I say, other people won't like it. So I've learned a long time ago that my truth is my truth and I have to be willing to speak it knowing that some people might not like it. So to your example, uh, and hence an invitation is, um, you did what you did, you had your intention and it landed on a group of men uh, or women or who, who knows in a certain way. One of the things I teach in my work is intention versus impact. Now, if you said something egregious and it hurt a woman and she came up to you, then the, the coaching I would give you would be to acknowledge that what you said made her feel this way. Take responsibility that you said it and help, help her know that you can see the impact and resolve to work on your language and move on. Right mm -hmm. now, that's easy or hard uh, when you get the trolls and you see all these comments. To me, my, the way I deal with that is that tells me a lot more about them than it does about me. and has nothing to do with me. Now, I've had a couple of conversations with some extremely right-wing Christian men around some of the work I do, and I've found common ground. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, I was raised Catholic, and I, you know, I became Christian, but I'm not, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a loose Christian in that I believe in God and it's my own, it's my own relationship with God. Um, so I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, all the way to the right. So I, I, I managed to find a common ground and a lot of guys, you know, are against a lot of this stuff per se, but I just, you know, I, I try to practice what I preach even with them. Mm -hmm. So I don't pay any attention to the trolls and who knows, I may be saying something in the next year where I may get totally attacked and, I just have to remember that it's not about me, whatever they're doing. Well, you know, you brought something up because I remember it's been 20 years ago. Maybe there was a kind of a religious movement called uh, Promise Keepers. Mm -hmm. And I had some friends. It was a friend of my mom's who's I guess it was her husband went to it and just and he was there all weekend. He came home. He did all sorts of things different. Um, is, is that, and I don't even know if you know what it is. And I'm frankly, don't know what they did. I knew they got with the stadiums and sang songs and had speakers. That's about yeah. all I know. Yeah. But, but I guess is, is that similar kind of thing to what you do? Cause I think no, we're supposed to focus no. them on families. I guess yeah. maybe I was off, but I it was know, a man thing. Yeah. I know who they are. And I just got a podcast interview that a, that a, a Catholic man who coaches Catholic men wants to, to talk to me. And, and interview me uh, with with conditions, which I kind of find interesting. But um, and I'm happy to meet him where he's at. But the my own personal observation uh, with with two runs at seeking to bring my skill set to two Christian congregations because I was dealing with the leaders. I offered to them, you know, we have an iron sharpened ironing possibility here. 
meaning mm-hmm. that my emotional literacy prowess and your spiritual literacy prowess might support each other. But my judgment of, you know, a, a lot of them is they're unwilling to take full ownership of their their own personal healing. And, it, and to me, it, there's a, I often see spiritual bypass, meaning that they don't take accountability for their actions. And my retort back to them is, listen, if you believe in God, God gave you the right to heal. God gave you the ability to do your work, to take ownership and to heal your past wounds from growing up, as opposed to going to confession and asking for, you know, uh, to be absolved for something you did that hurt somebody over and over and over and over and over again. So mm-hmm. as you may or may not know or believe or align with me or not, a lot of fear and control, regardless of the religious institution, is prominent. And so what we do on these weekends are non-denominational and inclusive. If you're Catholic, non-Catholic, Jewish, non-Jewish, Christian, non-Christian, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. But your personal beliefs, your religious beliefs and the doctrine that you live by there's no place for you to impose that on other people, nor will it be imposed on you. Mm-hmm. So therein lies the distinction. It sounds like a pretty safe environment. It's just totally based on safe. that. Yeah. yeah, it's totally safe. So what does the follow-up look like? Cause you know, having, you know, seen things like that, you, you kind of leave with all new insights and excitement, you know, is there follow on because it tends to yeah. sort of wear down after a while. Yeah. So a number of companies step into the water, and send six, eight, 10, 15 people to the conference. Then they come back and like, oh my God, we want more of this. Ray, what can we do? And now we've got, we've got traction because we can start to look at the company as a whole and say, okay, we need to put these 30, 100, 200 leaders through a training to embed this. Because you know, going to a conference, all that really does is, oh my God, that tasted great. Can I have some more? And I recognize mm-hmm. the importance of it. So what it can and has looked like is we've put them through a, you know, a six session training, you know, two, six, two, six, two hour sessions. That's a, one version. Um, there are other versions that, that we've done with companies modified, scaled down or expanded. But at the end of the day, in this fast moving world we live in, the idea of going to do a three day offsite, you know, isn't the what it used to be so mm-hmm. we've always worked to meet organizations where they are and given the nature of this topic where for a long time companies just weren't interested or didn't think they need to to now they're awakening to we need to do something but we don't know what ray here's our culture can you help us so i i have to work with them to say okay here's a good starting point in my book the multi-year game plan it lists six, eight, or 10 different things that one needs to do, like get senior leadership involved, understand that it's a series of intervention points with men to sustain their desire and ability to be better allies and leaders. And that's, that's it in a nutshell. So a lot of different possibilities. Now with my book, you know, uh, that is a, yet another option because it has a curriculum feel. So a lot of the conversations I'm in companies right now with are maybe new companies. Hey, send 10 people to New York or 
and and let's do a let's get the book in as many hands as possible and maybe we do a virtual um interview with me and a slight presentation with some of those men to get them interested then maybe we send them to the conference and then let's talk after and if you mean business and you've got budget let's talk about a training maybe mm -hmm. for some senior leaders and then oftentimes we do something for 20 to 30 senior leaders and then we can do a very similar training for up to 250 people at a time so that's what's unfolding of late well, I'm going to throw one more at you here. So, and I want you to, so let's, this is not hypothetical because it actually happened. We actually were going to, we had three windows we had ordered. And then of course the vendor didn't support it anymore. So we've got to order three new windows. So my wife is busy. She does all of that kind of stuff. She does a lot of the mechanical stuff around the house. She's wired that way. So she's getting estimates. And one of them said, well, yeah, we'll come by and show you some samples. Will your husband be there? She says, no. Well, we only will come out if your husband's there. And she says, well, why is that? Well, you know, we just want your husband there. Yeah. And my wife says, well, I'm the one making the decision. They said, I know, but. And so she ended up hanging up on him. Yeah. So it seems like that's an opportunity. Where do you think something like that comes from? And is that something that, let's say, the owner of that company needs to be aware of? Yes, yes, and yes. So, so good on good on your wife for hanging up, because you don't it, to to do business with an organization like that just perpetuates the unexamined patriarchy and you know that that is currently present. That until they've been gut checked, that hey, that's not okay. Maybe they haven't felt the pain yet of of having their head in the sand, and so. That just comes from, you know, the outdated playbook of what it means to be a man. Those guys know no different. What we don't know is, is this, was it his father's business? Is this the way they did business before? It doesn't make it right. And, you know, depending on where you're at with all this, you could, Mac, you know, reach out to the owner of the business, say, hey, are you open to, to getting some feedback hmm. uh, regarding what went down? So that would put you in the role as, one of the things we talk about to men is to is the three P's when they're an ally to women, which is to push to promote and protect. Push is encouraging them that they've got the goods to do the job because a lot of times women will have four or five, four of the five prerequisites for a job, but won't apply because they don't have the fifth. Whereas men have zero to one and they say, I can do this, which is why men get promoted on, 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 what's possible as opposed to merit. Um, so that's push. Promote is let everybody know how good this woman is in your network. And protect is when no one's looking, make sure that she's not the subject of stuff like this. So sometimes an ally might need to pick up the phone and call in as opposed to call out. There's a distinction. If you go at the guy, he's going to go into shutdown. If you mm -hmm. ask him, hey, I've got some feedback based on experience I had with my wife. Are you open? If he says yes, then you can say, listen, hey, you know, we needed windows. This is what happened. This is what your person said. This is how it landed. And this is the result we did. Is it important to you or any of your other customers? Is that how you want to be experienced in the marketplace? Because I can't imagine this is the only. He might say, thank you so much. Can you tell me more? And what should I do? And then you say, hey, call this guy Ray Arata. Yeah. <laughs> right? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, th that my invitation to you in support of your wife and to be a woke 
ally, you know, to, be, <laughs> to be, you know, somebody on this path um, to consider that without yeah. charge. It's just kind of like one guy to the next, you know, mm-hmm. guys are like, Hey man, come on. You messed up. Are you, do you want to be better? Yeah. Okay. Let's have a conversation. Well, I think that's out there. The message is out there. This weekend we're watching TV. I think it was a commercial for uh, one of those places you buy cars and the ladies, I want to buy an SUV. I want to, and nobody's paying attention. Then she makes a little man, has a little man puppet. Hey, I want to buy an SUV. Oh, come on, sir. It was, uh, and I can understand it. It's happened to my wife, even buying a car probably 10 years ago. Same thing. The guy kept talking to me. I said, Hey, I'm not buying, I have a car. And she ended up walking away and bought from another dealer where the man, treated her like a customer. So more and more guys like you and I, Mac need to speak up to change the narrative. Otherwise, if we don't, those guys will keep being that way. And the women in our life, the colored folk in our life will keep being at the affect of that. Well, Ray, how can we reach out to you? How can we get copies of the book? How can we find out more about the weekends? Yeah. What's the best way to reach out to you? So there's, there's depending on who you are, and I'm saying this to your listeners and what your needs are, here are the, the following places. For anybody who wants to buy the book, go to showingupbook.com, which will enable you when you buy the book to uh, apply for a free virtual ticket to the Better Man Conference. We're having two this year, June 2nd and uh, the first week of November in San Francisco. So that's for if you want to buy the book. And the conference is a one-day event. The men's weekend that I referred to at the very beginning, uh, that's altogether something different. But the Mankind Project for the men that are listening, if they're at a personal crossroads in life and some of the things I've been saying have been resonating them with them in a non-corporate sense, mankindproject.org. Um, if your audience wants to um, consider bringing me on as a speaker, and or have a conversation with me around the conference or the trainings. If you go to rayarata.com, it'll give you plenty of background, who I am, my background, services, that nature, how to get a hold of me. And last but not least, if you go to bettermanconference.com, you can sign up for our newsletter. We send out blogs, occasional community calls. It's a great way to be informed. And there's information on the conference. So a lot of different ways for people to, to, to interact with us. So that's it. Ray, thanks for taking time out of your schedule. This is an eye-opener, and uh, I appreciate the uh, the push to go and uh, take care of this little piece of business that I need to now. And for those of you who are listening, please check out Ray Arata. I think it's going to be a great move for you. Ray, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today. Thanks, Mac. It was my pleasure. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years, and I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm Credit webinar that we present as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs. More information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, you may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. 
We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.